as Steve mentioned to the children today, is the first day of Advent. It's the first day of the new year, according to the church's way of telling time. And as Steve said, the word Advent comes from the Latin word for coming. Something is coming to us. Something is coming to us. Not meteors, not aliens, not some kind of apocalyptic thing that we need to call out the Air Force or NASA or Will Smith to protect us. Something else is coming to us for which there really is no defense. It is a baby. A baby, meek and mild, gentle and vulnerable. That's the Christian story. And it is said of that baby that he brings peace on earth, goodwill to all. And we thought, we, our staff thought, that would be a great theme for the whole church for the season of Advent, living as we do in times that are, well, not so peaceful. Peace on earth and goodwill to all. That will be what we're asking all of us to think about and meditate about for four weeks of Advent. And as I started to meditate and pray about this, I realized pretty quickly, I don't really know very much about peace. I don't really know what to do with this kind of promise, with this kind of Messiah, this baby in whom there will be world peace. World peace is the punchline in a Miss America contest joke. You know, Miss Alabama is asking her interview, what, what would you do if you won? What would you do in your year as Miss America? And she says, well, I would bring world peace. I would hope for world peace. Well, right, sure. This past weekend was uh, a rivalry weekend for college football. And so everywhere you turned, there were these enormous, ferocious battles of the titans, of these rivals. And it was said about one pair, they need each other. They couldn't exist without each other. If if this team lost its rival, its bitter, hated rival, it would probably have to invent a new one because that is how they define themselves. It's hard to even imagine a world where enemies become our friends and where there is no need for a border patrol or deployments or weapons of any kind, any kind. The tragedy is we are a more armed and more militarized nation than ever before, probably than any nation ever has been, and yet most of us feel less safe, less secure than ever before, less at peace. We elected a new president who said, I will make America safe again, but he will not nor could have Hillary if she had won. It's not about politics. It's just that this newness that is envisioned in Scripture is nothing like what our civic leaders 
speak about. This newness that is embodied in Jesus Christ, this baby that comes to us. The meaning of his birth is read back into time through the words of the ancient prophets. And today's text is one of those prophets, Isaiah. Let us listen now for the word of God. The word that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that God may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall come forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And God will judge between the nations and will arbitrate for many peoples and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so Isaiah has a vision. He sees what cannot be seen by the media or the military or by any other prince or principality, all nations streaming to Jerusalem to worship God, a giant, multicultural, non-political Thanksgiving dinner gathering where God's instruction, the Torah, is that which is eagerly received as the meal that which shapes this new community where there are no threats to anyone, therefore no weapons are needed and no resources are spent on them. What if this was the passage that we should take literally in the Old Testament? It's such a wild promise It's so crazy, so unrealistic. It's hard not to think of this as something meant for another age, the age to come at the end of history. It's hard not to be cynical about this vision of the age of Aquarius or some sort of thing. I mean, just finding peace in our own families, in our own congregations within ourselves, that's hard enough. Where do you find peace? Do you find it in an early morning walk, in the beauty of the sunrise, in the stillness of the early morning? Of course, don't forget to take your mace and your your, uh, taser to keep you safe from being mugged. Do you find it in your yoga class? Maybe you love the quietness of the yoga. I have the sweetest 
little girl teaching. The only problem is how in the world can you feel at peace when you're twisted like a pretzel and you're in pain and can't feel your legs anymore. There's no peace in yoga. Well, where do you find peace? Is it in something far away? Do you have to go to your mountain home or your lake house? Do you have to leave where you are in your mind and go somewhere else to have peace? It seems like we could be saying with Mary, how in the world could these things be? I hear the promise of the angels, but it doesn't really make sense. I don't think we're ready. I know I'm not really ready to receive this promise, to really work with it and make sense of it. I think part of it is because it must involve the cross. It must involve a crossword movement, a deep relinquishment, a letting go. And that's hard. I resist that. We have four weeks in Lent. I don't think it's enough time to really prepare to figure out how to open ourselves to this promise of peace. Ken Wilbur suggests that our religion has two important functions to support human life and growth. The first is that religion helps the separate self, the individual, to make meaning of his or her experience, to make sense, to endure the vagaries of life. One needs to feel secure and valued and gifted to be able to grow, to be yourself. However, the Catholic monk Richard Rohr uh, says that most of us stop at this first stage of our religion, fortifying our separate selves, being secure, valued, gifted, linked to having correct religious thoughts and morality, can just make us basically selfish and narcissistic if that's where we stay. Such folks end up perpetuating exclusion and violence to protect their small field of self. This is not the way of peace. As long as one remains in this self-enclosed, self-referential position, all others are a threat, and one spends enormous energy and resources protecting and defending. For example... I have here, you don't have to see the detail, but just look at the colors. This is the budget of the United States. And you see the Department of Transportation and Education, all the national parks, NASA, agriculture, all the the Department of Housing, Homeland Security, the State Department, all of that. And then we come to the red, and that is all the military spending.
Now, I know that it is surely said that the reason there is peace is because of the red, that that keeps the peace. And I understand that. We all do. And yet, we also must understand the promise of Advent. It's a different message. It's a different kind of peace. The biblical vision of peace accounts for the individual need for security, for meaning, but it launches us out into a wide world. And so the second function of religion is to open us beyond the self to understand our essential oneness with all others, to understand our connection to all things and how we belong together. That image of all nations streaming to the mountain of God. Belonging risking, giving away. It's an image of love. Love. Self-emptying love as the way to peace. In Ephesians, in the New Testament, Paul writes, in Christ, God has made known the mystery of God's intention or God's will. And it is this, to gather up all things in Christ, In Christ, those who are far off are brought near so that he has broken down the wall of separation and made us one. An image of peace. The Prince of Peace. We only have four weeks, my friends, to think about what in the world this means for us. Maybe we can use this time to recall God's mercy to us, our deep individual belovedness, our value, our giftedness. Maybe we can use these four weeks to mourn with those who mourn, to let the tears and the pain of the other touch us. I recall the words of Greg Boyle, the founder of Homeboy Industries, who said, instead of criticizing how others carry their burdens, perhaps we should marvel at how much they are able to carry. Maybe in these four weeks, I could choose one person with whom to make peace. Choose one person where there is some level of dis-ease and move toward them to make peace. Maybe somebody close by. Maybe in these four weeks, we together can study and pray and meditate on all the scriptural visions and meanings of peace, of shalom, wholeness, harmony, oneness in its diversity. For we 
are waiting for the Prince of Peace, not the Prince of Security, not the Prince of Surplus or Superpower. We are waiting for one who came as a little baby, vulnerable and gentle. The one who said, blessed are the peacemakers. And then who went on to show us what that meant in his journey toward the cross. So let's spend a season together. Four weeks. The first week, the focus is on hope. But the whole season, peace on earth and goodwill to all. Let's spend a season getting serious about what that means.